Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Today's episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. You know, a new set of windows or a new door really can totally change the look and the vibe and the feeling of your home. Plus, it can do two other pretty important things. One, it can add value to your home and it can make your home more energy efficient. Pella checks all those boxes and then some. Pella can provide window and door solutions to any home and work with the people at Pella second to none. So now is the time. Turn your window and door remodeling dreams into a reality with Pella. Check them out online. PellaOmaha.com. That is PellaOmaha.com. Okay, it is Sunday, August 2nd. And uh, I have cooked up a nice little solo podcast for you guys. It's just me and you for this pod because there are a handful of juicy, interesting sports topics that I got some passionate thoughts on. And I kind of want to lay it all out there for you. Writing all this stuff out was was kind of therapeutic. I mean, maybe it's because everybody's just so kind of high, strong, and emotional for obvious reasons right now. But kind of putting my, 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 my thoughts out onto a a Word document really was good, man. So we got three topics on the menu today. I'm going to tackle the topic of, does it seem like the media is rooting against sports return? That was a big topic that uh, really kind of sparked up last week because of a tweet from Kyle Brandt that I'll get into. Also, Damian Jefferson and Denzel Mahoney, uh, their announcement that they are returning to Creighton and uh, the big news for Greg McDermott, kind of what that means. And then I had a deep thought about Creighton basketball that might have been a little, like, pessimistic, but uh, I think everybody's kind of in that that frame of mind. But certainly that was big news for Greg McDermott. I'll get into that, but I want to start with uh, the big one, and that is the Pac-12 news. So here we go. The big news of the college football world over the weekend. The Pac-12 players sent shockwaves through the sport in a letter posted on the Players' Tribune threatening to boycott the season, unless their list of demands are met. So the players from the Pac-12 want some major concessions from the conference, and if they aren't met, they're not going to play. And, you know, some of the demands, the, the range is interesting. Some of them are like are, are quality requests that you're like, yep, I get that. I, I understand that. I can get behind that. And then some of them you kind of go, oh, God, that seems ridiculous. That seems totally and completely ridiculous. I'm not. I'll read a few. There was there was a bunch. I'm not going to read them all, but I'll read a I'll read a few. Uh, some of the demands were uh, in terms of COVID-19 protections, uh, allow option not to play in the pandemic without lose, losing our athletic eligibility or spot on the team roster. Uh, that I mean seems seems reasonable, right? Uh, they want a player approved health and safety standards enforced by a third party selected by the players to address COVID-19 and serious injury, abuse, and death. Makes sense, right? You want a third party person to be able to evaluate all that stuff. Makes complete sense. Uh, they, they talked about wanting to have uh, insurance uh, moving forward for a period of six years uh, with kind of the unknown of what could be coming down the pike from uh, with, with COVID and, and, you know, putting your, your, 
yourself into potentially quote unquote harm's way, uh, that that makes sense to me. Uh, that they, they want to continue to uh, be a part of the fight against racial injustice. You know, said from a per- permanent civic engagement joint ta- form a permanent civic en- engagement joint task force of our leaders and experts of our choice and university and conference administration to address outstanding issues such as racial injustice in college sports and society. Totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. Uh, They also ask for name, image, and likeness rights and representation. They want the freedom to secure representation, receive basic necessities from any third party, and earn money for the use of uh, their name, image, and likeness. Then they also talked about... uh, a six-year athletic scholarship to be able to foster undergraduate and graduate degree completion. I mean, I suppose I can get behind that to a certain extent. And uh, wanted to allow a one-time free transfer, something that's been talked about. So that that's there's there was a couple of big ones I left out that I'm going to get to in a second, but those were were a handful of the ones where it's like, yeah, safety ones, I'm good with. The, uh, the insurance, having... having uh, Insurance coverage for six years, totally good with. The opt-out thing, if you don't feel comfortable playing, totally good with. To continue to fight in the social justice world, of course, totally fine with that. The name, image, and likeness likeness and transfer stuff, I think that stuff's coming down the pike anyway. And while I guess I'm good with both of them, I think the devil is in the details to a certain degree, especially with the name, image, likeness stuff. I mean, the one the one time free transfer, I don't love. I've kind of done a whole pot on that. I don't love it, but again, I'm not gonna, I, that's not a hill I'm going to die on. That's not a hill I'm going to die on. Uh, and, and like I said, the the NIL, the name, image, likeness, it's an inevitability, first of all. Uh, and then from a broad sense, I'm totally on board with, uh, you know, because it feels like it's kind of fundamentally wrong to not allow someone to make money off themselves. Like, it kind of feels wrong, say, you can't make money off yourself in America. Like, that just feels wrong. Like, and if a music student on scholarship can get paid off themselves, it kind of, uh, off their own name and image and light and stuff, it kind of makes sense that a football player should be able to do the same. But again, the devil is in the details with the NIL stuff because there's a slippery slope Pandora's box element to all that. Uh, but that's not really what this is about. But I, I'm good with with a lot of those things because a lot of them seem inev- in- inevitable. And then, you know, the insurance stuff, some of the protection stuff with COVID, totally on board. Where things get tricky in the in the the Pac-12's demands is some of the financial demands. the The Pac-12 players wanted they want fifty percent of the revenue split to the players. Fifty percent. Come on, man. They also in the in the demands are requesting reductions on coaches, administrators, and commissioners' salaries. They say in here, Larry Scott, administrators and coaches to voluntarily and drastically reduce excessive pay. And then they also want to see uh, the end to lavish facility expenditures and uh, and use some endowment funds to preserve all sports. Uh, I, a lot of those things are tough asks, you know? Those are tough asks because with – with wanting to kind of cut back on all that stuff, basically, basically, they're asking the conference to guarantee sports that lose money every year to be saved. That's a tough ask. In this, in this time we're living in, 
with COVID and the and the economic uh, realities for some people right now, that's that's a tough ask. They're they're saying, yeah, all that. I mean, the sports that are guaranteed money losers, they want them to be guaranteed safe. Ugh. That's tough. And listen, this is how negotiations work, right? You go, you. you I'd assume they're going to be some back and forth now, and they'll arrive at some middle ground. I hope. But from a broad sense, I, I, I think, I think clearly the players saw a window of opportunity where they maybe held had some leverage and some power here, and they're taking advantage of it. And th- there's kind of a lot in all these demands and requests, and in this situation to unpack. I think the players see it clearer than ever before. I think we all do. That the college football season needs to happen because these universities need the money. Don't kid yourself. The main motivator with all this is financial. Right? The reason all these conference commissioners and university presidents and and different people are, are having these Zoom meetings and conference calls and staying up late and, and trying to figure out a way to play is because they, they need the money. These universities need the money. And while the players see that, they also see that they're the ones that are going to have to go out there and play during this unpre- unprecedented pandemic right now. And I think they're kind of thinking, all right, if I'm going to do this, I might as well speak up and ask for some things before we get this thing started. I can wrap my head around that. I can wrap my head around that. And, you know, it's interesting. Some of the some of the demands, when you think about kind of the whole context of college football and college basketball, some of the stuff is a little bit of the chickens coming home to roost, especially in terms of the finances. And let me kind of lay it out on all sides. I don't... I don't think the players fully know what they are asking for with the 50-50 revenue split. Sometimes you, you're asking for something, but you don't know the ramifications of what you're, what you're kind of asking for. Because what you're asking for is to forever alter college athletics. Forever. It's one thing to allow the name, image, likeness stuff, which again, I'm open to. But it's something totally different when you are asking for a 50-50 revenue split. Because... What they are talking about basically becomes professional sports. They basically become employees of the university and the conference. And again, that forever changes college football. Forever. But here's where that chicken coming home, the chicken's coming home to roost thing comes in. College football and college basketball, too is a business, is a is big business masquerading as amateur sports. Let's just call it like it is. College football and college basketball is big business masquerading as amateur sports. When coaches are making five to ten million dollars a year and TV contracts are worth a billion dollars, it's hard to call it amateur. So to the people that that scream, this is amateur athletics, man, is it? Is it really? Coaches getting seven, eight million dollars a year to coach, billion dollars in TV revenue. That's amateur. Sheesh! If that's amateur, I'd love to see pro for some for some of these people. So all that is riddled into these demands. Again, 
I'm open to the name, image, likeness stuff. I am. But 50-50 rev share, it's a totally different deal in my opinion. Totally different deal in my opinion. Couple last things with this before we move on to to another topic. I thought Elijah Molden, who's a defensive back for, for Washington, he's a good player, by the way, second team all pack 12. He he posted something and wrote something on Twitter in response to the to the demands that I thought was really well put. And I also think it's interesting that clearly not all the Pac 12 players were aware of of all the demands. I mean, because clearly here's a big time player that was reading the demands for the first time, just like all of us were. But I, I thought I thought this was really, really well put. Uh, he, he posted on Twitter, it is exciting to be a part of a conference that is bold enough to challenge a flawed institution and fight to have our voices heard. This is a long time coming, and I fully support the sentiment of the boycott. While I agree with most of the demands, there are a few that I cannot get on board with. My initial reaction was how some of the demands seem unrealistic and far-fetched given the context of our situation COVID, financial restrictions, time, etc. He went on to praise the spirit of the demands and and also expressed his desire to play football, but it was kind of long, so I just wanted to. But I thought that I thought what he said initially was really well put. It was good, and I agree with it. I think the spirit of the demands is well intentioned, and in some instances, spot on. Right. Some of the COVID safety precautions, insurance, different things, like uh, continuing to to fight racial injustice, all that social issues, totally good, right? But some of the other demands seem unrealistic and far-fetched given the situation. I think when the dust settles, they're going to meet in the middle. They're going to have to do this pretty quick to find some common ground, and I, I hope they do. Last thing on this. And this might not come out right, so I got to be real careful with how I how I say this and lay this out. You know, I was I, I'm I'm like I said, it's Sunday, August second, and I, I I have my cup of coffee, and I get and I I I grab my phone, I'm sipping the coffee, and I'm and I'm reading this Pac-12 letter of demands and all this stuff, and I'm reading it, and I kind of sat back, and it it really struck me with how much the attitude of the college athlete has shifted now again this could this could be back to the whole chicken coming chickens coming home to roost thing but the shift in attitude is pretty startling to see I mean I played college basketball at Kansas and Creighton from 2003 to 2008 which isn't that long ago relatively speaking and when I played I felt so grateful and so lucky and so thankful to play college basketball. I to to be a Kansas Jayhawk and to be a Creighton Blue Jay, I, I just I felt so lucky. I just never thought like the players think in that letter. Again, my prevailing emotion was gratitude. Now I also didn't wasn't asked to play during a pandemic, and there aren't. I mean, again, like I said, things evolve, things change. But my prevailing emotion was gratitude. And 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 listen, I'm not saying that 
to make me sound better than any of the Pac-12 players. I'm just simply saying it's amazing how much of a shift in attitude there has been in a little over 10 years. Because I think my emotional sentiment and disposition and, and frame of mind was how all my teammates felt. And and that's still the, the one thing I will bristle up over and fight back on is, is a little bit like, can college football be better? Sure, absolutely. Can college basketball be better? Sure, absolutely. But I absolutely hate this new narrative over the past five, 10 years that playing college football and playing college basketball on full scholarship at a big-time university is awful and these players have a raw deal. I hate that. Pardon my French, but that is bullshit. I'm not saying you can't ask for more. And I'm not saying it can't be better. But what I am saying is stop saying that being on full scholarship to play football at USC, for example, is somehow anything other than effing great. Getting your education paid for, getting out of college 100% debt-free, having created a network of friends and university alumni to lean on as you embark on your life and your career is really, 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 really valuable. And don't let Twitter and all this stuff tell you otherwise. And for the most part, these players get treated great. I see it. And strapping on a USC helmet and playing in the Coliseum on a Saturday night, come on, man. Let's not act like that sucks. That is still awesome. So what I'm saying is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yes. Yes. College football and college basketball can be better. But that doesn't mean that college football and college basketball aren't great. They're great. College football's great. Turn on Duke, Carolina, and hoops and tell me college basketball isn't great. Two things can be true at once. Can it be better? Yes. Is it great? Yes. I just get tired of the narrative and the sentiment Like these college athletes, they got the worst deal in the world. Give me a break. I've been watching the the new series, the new season of Last Chance U on Netflix. And for those who don't know, Last Chance U is uh, it's great. I highly recommend it. It's a it's a docu series, and they've done this for God. This is maybe the fifth year they've done it. It's a docu series that follows a junior college football team and their season and profiles the players on the team. And I find that show, it's less about football and more about the humanity, life experiences. Like that's, it's, it's kind of a show about that kind of package to you in football. Because I find that show to be riveting and wildly emotional. Because the situation and backstories that some of these junior college football players have are gut-wrenching. I mean, I'm watching this, the, the, newest, the, the newest season now at Laney College in Oakland, a junior college. There's a kid who's probably their best player sleeping in his car. And there are countless examples over the course of Last Chance U, not just this season, but all the season before, 
countless examples illustrating just how dire some of these dudes' situations are. And the one thing they are all dying for is a full-ride scholarship to go play Division I football somewhere. That's the ticket to a life for some of these dudes. So, I, I don't know, man. I just think sometimes we need a dose of reality with all the stuff. that, Like, with all these conversations. Like, breathe, guys. Everybody breathe. Again, college basketball, college football can be better. There is no doubt. There are things that are fundamentally flawed about all this stuff. No doubt. But that doesn't mean that college football and college basketball aren't great. They are life savers for so many kids. And while we strive to improve the sports that we love, let's not lose sight of that. Let's just, let's not lose sight of that. All right, that's topic number one. Hey guys, quick break to talk to you guys about Pella windows and doors. And I want to make sure that you guys understand that Pella windows of Omaha and Lincoln, they're following CDC guidelines Uh, during this coronavirus situation. They can safely serve any of your window and door needs in the showroom or in your home. All the employees at Pella and the customers are completing a COVID-19 questionnaire as provided by the CDC prior to entering the showroom, entering the office, and uh, any uh, potential customer's home. And all the employees are required to self-quarantine for a recommended 14 days if uh, that individual comes into contact with someone who's tested positive, if they traveled anywhere outside of the Omaha-Lincoln area. Bottom line, they are taking all the necessary precautions to make sure that they are safe and you are safe so you can safely move forward with your window and door needs. And uh, on top of all that, as a result of all this stuff with the coronavirus, uh, Pella is offering temporary special financing options. They are now available. So and now is the time to take advantage of these special rates and uh, put that value back into your home, and you have that peace of mind knowing that all the necessary safety uh, protocol and precautions have been uh, put into place by Pella, so you know the whole time you can feel safe. Give Pella a call, 402-493-1350, or check them out online at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Topic number two. So there was a tweet from uh, Kyle Brandt of the NFL Network about a week ago. And I'll paraphrase the tweet. The tweet was basically saying that to him, it seems like there is a segment of the media that is rooting against football to happen this year because of COVID. And he also pointed out how odd that is to him because football, if football gets canceled, those media members won't have a job. Now that tweet, uh, blew up and sparked a lot of debate on social media. And I, I think it's an interesting topic. So the question is, does it seem like some media members are rooting against football and sports return? So here's my take on I can't sit here with a straight face and turn onto my microphone here in my, my basement office and say that I think certain media members like Dan Wolken or Pat Forty or Dennis Dodd or Stuart Mandel, to name a few, are rooting against football's return. It just doesn't seem to make sense to think that they don't want sports back and football back. 
Because like the initial tweet said, if college football doesn't go back, those guys' jobs are in jeopardy. So it just seems silly to even say that. So while I don't think they are necessarily rooting against sports or football to come back, I just think the media skews negative, skews controversy, skews towards cynical and skews towards drama. And listen, unfortunately, that sells in the world right now. It just does. And I'm not saying that as someone from the outside looking. Like, I lived, I, I've lived in the daily sports content producing world, hosting a daily sports talk show for nearly a decade. I've even done it at the national level with Fox Sports Radio, too. The segments where I came on and ripped Mike Riley or something, that got more reaction than the segments where I came on and had a positive take about Mark Banker's third down defense or something like that. It just did. It just did. Take take Dan Wolken, for example. I don't mean to pick on Dan, but I guess I kind of will. But So Dan Wolken, he's a sports columnist for USA Today. During the college football season, every single Sunday, do you know what his big column is called reacting to the day of college football? Do you know what the name of that column is? It's called the Misery Index. The Misery Index. Instead of highlighting the big wins and great performances of the Saturday slate of college football, he chooses to write about the four or five awful performances and pontificate on the hot seat of that coach and how terrible the team played. And I know that's anecdotal evidence of just one example, but you get my point. I think the media has a way of focusing on the bad and the drama, and they flock to it. And that has been on full display with some of the media members' coverage over the last handful of months. And it's been interesting for me to to observe. There are lots of media members. They will write a scathing negative column on college football's attempt to return because of one school having to stop workouts because of a few positive tests. I mean, just a scathing column. But when a school like Oklahoma or Notre Dame maybe have two straight weeks of zero positive tests, no column. That doesn't get a column. Might get like a retweet or a like or a reply of like, that's good. So I guess my thing is there seems to just be a lack of coverage and balance on columns of anything positive or optimistic on sports return. And again, like I said, that could be college football's teams having a a handful of great test results or, you know, the success of leagues like the NBA, MLS, I mean, the, the TBT, the tournament, or anything like that. Instead, it's seemingly always doom and gloom, negative, pessimistic slant on sports and COVID and football's return. That's just how it lands to me. And I'm clearly not alone on that sentiment either. Darren Ravel and Clay Travis each put a poll question up asking if, basically to their followers, if they thought the media was rooting against sports return. And when you combine the results of both of their Twitter polls, there were nearly 90,000 people voted. And 66% of the people think sports media is rooting against the return of sports, certain sports media. 
So, I mean, again, that's not, I mean, I don't think we can take that as gospel, but it's something. So, again, that's just, that's just how it lands. And like I said, clearly I'm, by those poll results, I'm not alone in that vibe. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not naive to what is happening in the world as it pertains to COVID and the pandemic and the challenges of, of holding sports during this time. It is it is a tough, tough, tough thing to pull off. I have concerns. I have doubts. No question. You'd have to have your head buried in the sand to not have major concerns. So I'm not advocating for the media to turn a blind eye to that stuff. Not at all. I'm just saying there doesn't appear to be balance. And listen, people don't want the media to be dishonest and disingenuous. But people also don't want the media to appear to have an agenda. And right or wrong, the perception is that the media has a slight agenda on this one right now. And I say all that to also acknowledge my own bias on this. I've told you before, I mean, I'll lay it out that I have a vested interest in sports coming back because of what I do for a living. Not only with this podcast, I mean, certainly it's my podcast is better and f- more fun with actual sports going on, but mainly because of my job as a college basketball analyst on Fox TV. I make a living calling college basketball games on TV. That's a huge part of how I provide for my family. So certainly I'm probably a little jaded on this one to a certain extent. I really, really, really need college basketball season to happen. But I'm sure I'm not alone in that. I'm sure I'm not the only one who is financially leveraged in some way, shape, or form to a certain degree on sports in its return. And when you open up Twitter and you see scathing column after scathing column after scathing column on crushing the chances of sports returning, it lands a little different. And you may say, well, what do you want them not to be honest and relay what's going on? No, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying there are some, there are some good things that are happening in sports and how they're handled, being handled in the pandemic. And some of you may say, well, Nick, what does it matter? So, so what Pat Forty writes a column squashing college football's return? What does that matter? I think it actually matters more than you think. I think it actually does matter because it all plays into the optics of scrutiny and criticism some of these college football decision makers have on their plate to even attempt to try to play. So while Dan Wolken and Dennis Dodd and Pat Forty don't have a seat at the table when making the final call on sports return, they do have a seat at the table in people's subconscious and the scrutiny they would endure if they even try to play. Now you better believe, don't kid yourself, you better believe there will be a certain portion of the media that will be chomping at the bit to absolutely crush college football and NFL football every single day with every single angle if they try to play. And while, you know, dealing with the scrutiny and public pressure can't be the guiding light in the decision to play or not for these decision makers and, and, and power brokers in college football and the NFL, it becomes a factor on some level. How big of a factor, I guess, is debatable. But I think on some level, it becomes a factor. It helps let you know, we always talk about like, well, what's the climate like out there? What's the percept, the narratives that like, it, it shapes the, the, the climate. It shapes the narratives. 
So I hope I laid that out in a coherent way. And listen, I, I hate having an anti-media take. I hate that so much. I'm a member of the media. Like, I hate having an anti-media take because that has become all too commonplace and is sometimes dangerous rhetoric to engage in because, listen, man, we need good, honest journalism in our world maybe now more than ever. I'm just simply laying out how all this stuff has landed to me and how it clearly has landed to a lot of people as well during the past emotional four months as people are dealing with the pandemic and wondering if or when football and sports make their return. That's topic number two. Speaking of return for topic number three. So Creighton got some good news. Denzel Mahoney and Damian Jefferson announced that they are withdrawing from the NBA draft and returning to school. So it's not surprising news, for, in my opinion, but it's still good news. I've told you that I fully expected both these guys to return to Creighton, and I viewed them entering the draft as more of a formality and a way to get their name out there and, and gather as much info as possible. I don't think either guy was ever legitimately going to leave. But I, I was getting a little worried not going to lie, I was getting a little worried with the pandemic still sweeping the country that maybe the uncertainty surrounding a college basketball season, that that would maybe nudge them into the direction of not coming back. That was my only concern with those two. And those guys aren't going to get drafted. But they announced over the weekend they are coming back, which is big. So Creighton now returns six of their top eight scorers on a team that had a hell of a season with the only significant loss being Tyshawn Alexander leaving early to go to the NBA, which obviously is a big blow. But again, six of the top eight scorers are back, including the studs in the backcourt, Marcus Zagorowski and Mitch Ballock. I mean, Creighton's going to be a preseason top 10 to 15 ranked team. But I was thinking about you know the team and, and everything. I was thinking about this. And maybe, maybe this is the pandemic seeping into my cynical, pessimistic part of my brain. But I was thinking about this. Isn't it kind of crazy, in a sad way, that there is a chance that Creighton, and in particular, Greg McDermott, could have their two best teams in school history and not get to enjoy any of the NCAA tournament rewards because it timed up with a global pandemic. Ugh. I mean, there's a chance Creighton has two of their best teams in, 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 in program history. Don't get to try to, to dance in March at all. I mean, th- last year, Creighton finished the regular season seventh in the AP poll. They won the Big East regular season title. They were projected two-seed in the NCAA tournament, but March Madness was canceled because of the pandemic. This year, like I said, Creighton returns six of their top eight scorers, has a preseason top 10 to 15 ranked team, and has an incredible non-conference slate potentially lined up with games at Kansas, at Nebraska, Arizona State at home. They will have a big-time Gavit matchup with a Big Ten team. And they're going to they're set to play in a great field in Atlantis in the Bahamas. Listen to this field of teams out there with Creighton. Duke, Ohio State, West Virginia, Texas A&M, Memphis, Wichita State, and Utah. I mean, there's a scenario where Creighton could play 
KU, Duke, and maybe like Michigan State or something like that, all in the non-con. And it might not happen because of the pandemic. Again, I have no inside information. I'm just reading what is happening and what's unfolding. And certainly you don't have to be Anthony Fauci to see the challenges of sports and COVID right now. But man, that I was thinking about that. Obviously, the big one is losing out on the NCAA tournament. You know, it's not necessarily about the non-con. It's like you want to see you want to see a season get played in in some form or fashion, and you want to see the NCAA tournament played because Creighton finally's got a you know they got a squad that can make some noise like they did last year. And you'd love to see a non-con slate with names like that on it get played. And so who knows what's going to happen in the NCAA tournament. I mean, if, this, if, if, this, if things go code red and the season gets canceled, I mean, oh boy. I mean, it's possible, you know. Nobody, I have no idea, but nobody can confidently say right now that college basketball is going to happen. And nobody can confidently say that the NCAA tournament is going to for sure happen. I mean, I hope like hell it does, but nobody knows. And I was just thinking about it over the weekend, especially when I saw that, that Damian Jefferson and Denzel Mahoney were coming back. I thought, man, Greg McDermott and Creighton might have the two best teams in in program history, two of the best, and and sure, the two, maybe the two best teams Greg McDermott's had in his entire coaching career in, at, at Creighton. And Creighton might not get anything to show for it in the NCAA tournament in terms of getting an opportunity to make some noise. Oh. Timing can be fortunate and good for you in life and it can also be the other way we'll see what happens and like I said I hope I'm wrong I do know this money motivates to tie it all back to what we talked about at the at the start man and the NCAA tournament is such a massive revenue generator that the college basketball decision makers are going to do all they can to make sure that a season gets played that you can count on And with Damian Jefferson and Denzel Mahoney back, you can count on Creighton being really, really good again. So, I mean, exciting news for for the Blue Jays to have those two guys back. I mean, think of it. Marcus Zagorowski, Mitch Ballock, Denzel Mahoney, Damian Jefferson, and Christian Bishop. It's a legit five right there. A lot of experience. A lot of talent. Big-time team. Now, let's just hope this this season happens so Creighton can capitalize on a run in the NCAA tournament on a team that on paper is one of the best in school history. All right, there you go, three topics. Ah, it feels therapeutic for me. It's emotional, man. It's an emotional time right now. Reminder, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, just click that subscribe button, give it a five-star rating, and review. It all helps me out. We will see you next time on the pod. All right, my thanks to Pella Windows and Doors. If you're thinking about a new window or a new front door, now is the perfect time. Give Pella a call at 402-493-1350 or check them out online at PellaOmaha.com. We will see you next time on the Nick Bob Podcast. Production.